The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Our approach to tackling coronavirus is to prepare for the worst and work for the best. You need a totally different style of leadership. It's not enough to have a plan. You need to be testing, testing, testing. Britain and the EU, do they want to be seen as locking horns on an issue such as a no-deal Brexit when the economy is going to be suffering and people's lives are going to be facing so much disruption? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing, and we're starting today with the confusion that still surrounds Boris Johnson's plan to get people back to work. It's just 24 hours since he told Britons they should go to work if you can't work from home. The Prime Minister, however, has modified his message to say employees should only go back if they think their workplace is safe. So you'll be unsurprised to hear that opposition politicians and unions accusing the government of causing confusion and mixed messages that put the health of workers in danger. Some business groups are telling members not to change their plans until there's greater clarity. The Health Secretary, Matt Hancock's this morning been doing the rounds, defending the government's strategy. Here's what he said when he was asked whether the guidance is indeed confusing. I'm afraid I disagree with that. Um, The principles are really clear. And the public have been really sensible so far. And this is why an appeal to people's common sense is, is very, very sensible in and okay. of itself. The great British public have really understood what social distancing means, why we need to do it. And that was the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. Well, joining us on the programme, very pleased to say, is Navanu Mishra, Labour MP from for Stockport. Now, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. Well, let's pick up on that line about common sense and, and, and the Matt Hancock saying it's not confusing. Uh, are you confused by it? I think what we need uh, currently is, is, is clarity and, and long-term vision. And there's mixed messages coming from the government. And I think it's unhelpful because we saw an announcement on Sunday um, and on 12 hours notice, people in certain industrial sectors are supposed to go back to work and the government saying they've issued guidance around workplace protection and safety. And it's just not enough time. It's mixed messaging and uh, we are not where we want to be. And we've always, Labour as opposition, has always said that our first priority is protecting people's health and saving lives and also supporting the NHS and other public services. So I do think that the government messaging is not clear and we don't need more ambiguity at this time. Uh, but Nav, on the other hand, we saw a clip uh, from Channel 4 News was a plumber who was saying, what do you want, a full handbook to tell you what to do? Is there not an argument here that a certain amount of this has to be left to the British people to make their own uh, informed and sensible decisions? No, I agree, of course. You know, uh, I don't think that, uh, um, you know, uh, the lockdown can work forever. Uh, what, but what we do need is, you know, we need clarity. And as, as I said, there, seem to be, there seems to be a lot of confusion around how, how the, the new guidelines will be enforced, uh, how our businesses support, uh, you know, are, are supposed to put, the, put the, 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 the new measures in place. 
And uh, the government has also been unclear about the medical and scientific advice that informed the decision. So I think there are lots of questions. Uh, but, I, you know, long term, of course, we need a proper, pro- proper system of people going back to work. But safety and saving lives has to come first. All right. Well, I mean, let's pick up on a specific aspect of it. Later, we're going to probably find out what the government's plans are in terms of the furlough scheme, the paying people a certain percentage, 80% of their wages for a certain time. Now, uh, as you'll appreciate now, obviously, this is costing a vast amount of money uh, for the government, for our taxpayers, of course. Uh, The government wants to try and ease itself out of it. How do you think would be the best way to do that? Um, I think, you know, of course we're talking about a large sum of money, but I also think it's important to highlight that no one wants to be furloughed forever, and businesses and people at work, they want certainty about, about the future. And I think I've seen reports in the media that, uh, uh, you know, some some uh, some government MPs have been saying that people are addicted to furlough pay and that kind of thing, and I think that sort of talk is, is unhelpful, because, as I said, no one wants to be, no one wants to be furloughed. Um, but we need to make sure that saving lives is, is the priority. So, you know, c- talk of cutting down from 80% to 60% or lower, that kind of talk is unhelpful because uh, every day in my constituency, in my inbox, I see people concerned about uh, losing their home, people concerned about paying their bills. We've seen massive increase in food banks across across uh, across the northwest region. So I think all of these are important issues. And the government, we're clearly not over this crisis. There's still lots more to come, unfortunately. Um, and government measures need to make sure that they, they, they don't worry people and they don't, uh, we, we shouldn't be talking about people being addicted to furlough pay and that businesses relying on that, uh, that kind of stuff. I, I think that kind of talk is unhelpful. So just to be absolutely take- clear on this, Nav, you're saying it's too early to even begin to ease up on furlough at the moment. What would be the timescale that you think would work? Look, I think, um, yes, I do agree it's too early. Uh, I think we need a proper approach. And, uh, you know, when it comes to people going back to work, I've already said we need to look at the medical and scientific advice. But also, um, you know, in conversations with the uh, you know, local organisations in my constituency in my region, um, lots and lots of businesses are already struggling with the schemes that the government has put in place. Several have fallen through the cracks. Um, and I think, you know, we need to see what happens in, in, in the coming weeks with regards to the rate of infection, with regards to NHS capacity, uh, with regards to, you know, progress on the vaccine. And I think it's too early to, to talk about uh, reforming the system uh, in, uh, to reduce the amount of support that the government is offering. And, and what about people who want to go back to work? You're a union man yourself. Do you think it's safe for your fellow members to go back into their workplaces now? I think, yeah, you know, it's all Labour MPs are members of trade unions and I'm proud to, 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 to be, you know, be part of that movement. But I think, you know, each workplace is different, of course. Uh, we, we've already seen that uh, people who work in shops, um, essential food retailers, we've seen, uh, we've seen new measures put in place. And unfortunately, we've also seen uh, there was a report of, of a transport worker in uh, London Victoria Station passed away recently due to infection. So we need to make sure that people who are going to work have the maximum level of protection. Uh, I appreciate some people want to go back to work. They want, you know, some people are self-employed or they work in their own business, that kind of thing. So I appreciate that. But safety has to come first. And if if you can work from home, you should be working from home. Um, and, you know, uh, unfortunately, we've also seen in London and other parts of the country, bus workers uh, disproportionately affected and several of them have passed away. 
And there's also a real issue about uh, ethnic minority people, the, 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 the rate of infection, uh, the number of deaths in ethnic minority people when it comes to healthcare workers and other key industries. So there are lots and lots of questions. It's too early to be to be uh, changing things to reduce support. And as I said, I think we need proper medical and scientific advice guiding this. I understand people's sentiments are high and I understand lots of people uh, have opinions. We should respect that, but science and medical advice should come first. Nav, actually, let me pick up on that point, because it is an interesting one about the BAME community being adversely affected All this in all this, and we don't know the reasons for it. There has been talk at some levels of saying, well, is it time to move BAME people away from the front line? But obviously some people say, well, that's you know, the idea of discriminating in that way is abhorrent. How do you yeah. feel on that? I think, you know, we need, we need to look at the, the reasons why, why this has happened. Um, I, I also think that, you know, if you look at the NHS workforce, it's, it's a very diverse workforce. People from all over the world come and work in our NHS um, uh, without, uh, you know, diverting to, too far away from the point, uh, the question you're asking. I think, you know, I've been supporting measures for, for people who come from abroad um, and, and their visa requirements and, and the, 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 the fees they have to pay to use public services. We need to look at that. But with regards to moving people away from frontline service because of their ethnicity, uh, I'm not sure about that, but I do think that we need a proper inquiry. Once again, it needs to be an independent inquiry led by medical experts and scientific experts rather than rather than politicians. I need to look at the data. We should be doing more. You know, lack of PPE is a scandal. We've seen so many doctors and frontline healthcare workers who've passed away uh, who talked about lack of protective equipment before they passed away, and it's a national tragedy. And the government clearly hasn't been good enough in distributing PPE, but also ordering PPE and manufacturing enough. And we've seen recent reports that uh, lots of PPE is substandard and isn't up to the level that is required. So I think lots of questions need to be answered, but a good start would be to offer proper PPE and support to, to care homes, to, to hospitals, to other frontline services. And what about Labour's position in all of this? Because I feel like over the course of the last week or so, we've seen a bit of a shift from the top of the party, from supporting and standing by the government to becoming more and more critical. Do you think that the consensus that we had before is now over? Has there been a sea change over the last week? I do agree. I think that there has been a shift because, you know, we have second highest death rates in the world. Uh, Labour's position was uh, to, to support the government and get this right. However, we've seen that that, that clearly uh, hasn't uh, resulted in, in, in positive outcomes. And we also have to be honest about, with the public about the challenges ahead. You know, this is this crisis is going to be around for a long time, and the government needs to properly plan for the future and properly support our social care services and the NHS. And I, I do think that you know um, Labour has been good at setting out an alternative plan to make sure that. People are supported, businesses are supported, and to make sure that our public services are properly funded and, and well run. So I do think that lots and lots of people are worried, including myself, about the numbers we see on a daily basis. We have a massive crisis in the, in the care sector in this country. Um, even before the, the COVID-19 crisis, there was a big financial crisis in the sector, but now we've seen a massive outbreak of uh, coronavirus. Um, I've been speaking to care homes in my constituency, and, and lots and lots of negative things are coming out. Now, very briefly, if you would, um, Keir Starmer, a bit of a, a different tone to Jeremy Corbyn. Do you think he's effective? Uh, of course, you know, members had, had, had their say in the recent leadership election, and he, uh, Keir has a different style of, of leadership than Jeremy. 
Um, I think um, n- none of us um, who joined uh, in, in 2019 the new intake in Parliament expected to be um, in this uh, facing this crisis within uh, weeks of entering Parliament. Uh, and I think, of course, Keir, as a new leader, is, is trying his best to hold the government to account. Right. So it is different than Jeremy, but uh, yeah, that, that you would expect that from a new leader. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And Roger, we start with a column in The Guardian. Yes, it's quite a striking column by Devi Sritar, Chair of Global Public Health at University of Edinburgh. And Devi says, while there are no easy answers for how to control the virus, it isn't rocket science either. It says there are three choices, basically. You contain the virus through a program of mass testing. Uh, second one is you slow the spread of the virus by using time cycles of lockdown and release. And the third is simply to do nothing. Now, the virus sweeps across the population. In that circumstance, the economy reigns open, and whoever makes it through, he says, is lucky still to be alive. But he argues the UK government has vacillated between approach three, then to approach two, and more recently to approach one. Now, he says the key challenge facing the government is to replace this lockdown with a package of public health interventions involving mass testing, surveillance, and real-time data. But he says without these measures in place, the result could be a Darwinian culling of the elderly and vulnerable. Ouch. Mm, A pretty stark health warning there. Here's a stark economic warning. McKinsey saying that almost a quarter of jobs in the UK are at risk due to coronavirus. About 7.6 million workers are exposed to a reduction in hours, being furloughed or permanent layoffs during lockdown. Nearly half of those jobs are in occupations earning less than £10 an hour, below the target rate for the national minimum wage. So it's the worse off who are being adversely affected. The report, just another reminder of that, statistics yesterday showing low-skilled men being most at risk from the disease. Now, other stories are around still. We've kind of forgotten them, I think, in the midst of all this, perhaps unsurprisingly. Do you remember the case of Anne Sekoulis? Well, she was the wife of an American diplomat who fled the country after a car crash in which a teenage motorcyclist was killed in Northamptonshire. British police are now seeking her extradition. A file has been given to prosecutors. Cases pending in front of the extradition unit. Daily Telegraph says Interpol has now issued a red notice for her, uh, and it comes after prosecutors charged her with causing death by dangerous driving in December. And that case became a bit of a key issue between Washington and London and could do again, I suppose. Yeah, well, the coronavirus can stop many things. Clearly not that case from rolling on. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Well, the government lifting some restrictions... What does the public think of it? We've had a whole confusion over the last few days. According to a survey by Keck CNC, 73% of Brits say the priority should be saving lives, even if that means a major recession. Well, joining us now to talk about this is James Johnson. He's a co-founder of JL Partners, a senior advisor to Keck CNC, and he previously ran the polling in Downing Street under Prime Minister Theresa May. So, James, we've got the headline figure there, 73%. How widespread is that support across varying metrics? Uh, It's very widespread. And this is one of the things that marks the UK out as unique. You know, we see that level of support 
the same level amongst 18 to 24 year olds as we do people over the age of 65. Now, in other countries like Sweden, like Germany, where they tend to prioritise the economy more, it tends to be younger people who are most ardent in getting the economy open. But in the UK, we're really not seeing that across political party, across age, gender, region, all of those measures. We see big majorities up there in the 70 percent region saying, please, uh, to the government, save lives over the economy. And that hasn't really changed then, particularly. I mean, it's not been a question of at certain moments people are more enthusiastic, other moments people would actually rather like it to end. No, quite. So, as I say, so in other countries, you know, in the US, in Germany, Sweden, we've seen that number coming down. Um, and we've seen the gap between people wanting to limit the spread and people wanting to protect the economy closing. Whereas in the UK, it's barely changed at all. I mean, it was down one point uh, for limit the spread, which is, you know, well within the margin of error on these polls. So we're really seeing that picture remain the same in the UK. Uh, the key thing is, is whether Boris Johnson's uh, announcement on Sunday um, and whether these events, act, whether these lift, uh, measures actually lifting in real life change that view and change that opinion. But the polling that's happened since that announcement, I think YouGov have done some polling, uh, which really shows that people are quite split on their view. You know, there's definitely this discomfort amongst the British public about lockdown being lifted at the moment um, and about uh, and a concern, you know, that the number of cases and deaths could go back up again. Uh, James, yesterday we heard the government talking about things like cinemas potentially reopening in July. Ryanair this morning saying that they're going to start flying again in July. How enthusiastic are people about doing these things, travelling, eating out, going to the cinema, sporting events, once they are actually allowed to do them? Well, I feel like I'm really the harbinger of bad news here, but um, I'm afraid (laughs) that it looks like we're going to be having big behaviour changes for a long time to come. Um, you know, let alone uh, in July or, or later this year. So we asked a question in this uh, NC survey, basically asking people, you know, will you do more or less of various activities um, after a vaccine? So, you know, assuming there is a successful vaccine, that's obviously an assumption that we can't have, but assuming there is, how do people say they'll behave? And the really interesting thing is, is that people even then are saying they're going to do less plane travel, they're going, to do, they're going to go abroad less, they're going to go to cinemas less, gyms less often, um, eat out less regularly. Um, so now, you know, that needs some caution attached to it. You know, people are answering these questions in the current climate, in the current climate of, of the virus. But as far as people are predicting they're going to behave, they're saying, you know, actually, they're not going to be able to be doing these things all that much. There is some good news, though, for domestic travel. So people are saying in the UK... And this isn't widespread across all the countries, but in the UK, people are saying that they will travel more within the country than they did before. And they'll also be outside more as well. So there's some good news for some sectors, but largely it's looking very difficult in terms of consumer behaviour. Yes, a summer of staycationing, I expect, and perhaps even longer, we'll see. But what about the economy itself? Because uh, it's really interesting that, you know, the extent to which the economy will change, and the extent to which people want it to change. Do you get a sense that people desperately want to turn the clock back to exactly what it was all those, what seems like many years ago at the beginning of February? Yeah, well, this is the really interesting, interesting thing. You know, when we ask people, you know, do they want to see fundamental change to how the economy works or do they want to get back to what it was in the uk it does seem that people are looking for a fundamental change now it's 55 percent who say they want to see that it's 25 percent who say they want to get back to how it was so that's a pretty fundamental that's a pretty big margin for that fundamental change it's probably not as large as it was uh, in the 2008 financial crisis 
but certainly something that can't be batted away. The interesting thing is, is that people are quite torn over what that fundamental change looks like. So uh, we've got people saying they want to see uh, the economy much more prepared for health threats, much more prepared for pandemics. That probably doesn't come too much as a surprise. But they also say they want the most vulnerable to be looked after much more. Um, and they want healthcare workers and key public services to be prioritised much more. The really interesting thing in this, for companies, for governments, uh, for everyone really, is that only 6% of Brits are saying uh, that, the, that the climate, that the environment should be at the heart of that fundamental change. So it could be that the environment, because of this crisis, is actually not going up uh, people's priorities, it's actually going down and being replaced by those more social and economic concerns. And I don't know if you generally work on who people think are the right uh, parties, the right politicians to see this through. Is this something they expect to get from the current government? Yeah, so overall, you know, government approval uh, and approval of Boris Johnson has been high. It's gone up um, since the start of the virus. um, And actually, comparatively, compared to other countries, it's been it's been relatively high. So, you know, at the moment, uh, or sort of, sort of certainly up until up until this week, people have been uh, uh, positive about that. But you know, there's a, they're not they're not completely sure politicians should be the only people calling the shots. And they also want to see scientists, public health experts having a big role, as well as actually doctors and nurses who they don't feel are having the role they want them to have now. But on politicians, British people are largely happy. However. The big caveat is what this week's announcement and changes does to that, because the British people, as I said earlier, they are very keen to prioritise the saving of lives. They were they were quite happy with the lockdown and the political cost of lifting that and deaths potentially going up is going to be much greater in the UK than those other countries. In Sweden, Germany, people are with the government. People are quite keen to see restrictions lifted. In some ways, in some ways, German and Swedish public uh, are, are culpable in that. You know, they're part of that process. Whereas in the UK, British people are very clear. You know, we don't want to be dragged out of this. We want restrictions to stay. And that could cause real political issues if the number of deaths go up. Yeah, because James, one of the, I mean, we're talking to a Labour MP just now who was talking about the way in which the consensus seems to be fracturing, a point at which the opposition become opposition. I mean, is there a sense that, that British, uh, the British people would actually want more opposition, want more challenge in some ways, in, in whatever direction? Yeah, and this is where, again, I, I think we really are seeing, and it's, it's a little, you know, we've got to be really careful because there's only been a few polls since Sunday, but we may well be seeing a real uh, change in what's happened in the UK. Up until now, uh, the public have been pretty united uh, on in terms of the, the views of the government, in terms of the view of the lockdown. You know, Labour and Conservative supporters alike, uh, pretty pro uh, what the government have been doing. It now looks like that has changed. And in that most recent YouGov poll that I mentioned, the public is split down the middle. You know, uh, 40, 44% support uh, Boris Johnson's new measures, 43% oppose it. And, that, and the really interesting thing in those figures is that the old political divides are back. So Conservative and Labour voters taking very different views. Conservatives more pro the decision, Labour more against it. And also on Brexit lines as well. So Leave voters much more pro, Remain voters much more against it. So we are starting to see those political divides that, that seemed absent for a while. And actually, I think there was a view amongst the public that Labour and the opposition parties shouldn't be too critical of the government. I wonder now whether that is changing and actually there is more of a role for Labour and other opposition parties to criticise the government on these issues. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.